Yeah, as John said, we're still going through our Pray Like Jesus campaign. So if you've been joining us and following along in this series, we are, we've been talking about the prayer life of Jesus. So when we talk about prayer, um, it can be kind of an overwhelming thing to think about. It's like, how do I pray? Like, it seems so big and so broad. And it's like an empty, it's like a blank whiteboard, right? Of like, you, you can figure this out. Uh, however you want to, and how do we pray, what do we say, what posture do we pray in, all of that stuff. So what we've been doing is just walking through the prayer life of Jesus and looking at how Jesus prayed, and then trying to model our prayer life after his. It's incredibly simple, but as we're going through, we've been seeing a lot of Jesus' prayer life was pretty robust. He prayed in a lot of different ways. He prayed all the time, and the things that he prayed for even are the things that we should pray for. And Jesus even taught us a lot about what we should be praying for. So I hope you've enjoyed going through this series, and I hope you've enjoyed kind of trying and practicing this prayer culture that Jesus had and developing some of these habits, okay, in your own personal life. And if you haven't yet, I'd encourage you to pick one, okay? So pick one, start there, and continue to add to that. So as we're going through this, continue to add to your prayer life, because this, as we've been seeing, is, is where Jesus finds his strength. This, when Jesus comes up against a very difficult time in his ministry, he always prays. He goes to prayer. It's almost every time prayer is emphasized in the life of Jesus. So we want to pray like Jesus, and today we're coming to uh, Luke chapter 11, and this is kind of the setting for our entire campaign, is, is this question at the beginning of Luke chapter 11. And here we're going to read it all. Uh, Jesus goes through what's known as the Lord's Prayer, which is his teaching on prayer. He kind of goes through a shorter version of that here than the Matthew version. But uh, we're not going to focus on that because we've already talked about the Lord's Prayer in this campaign. Uh, instead, we're going to go to what Jesus says after this. But we're still going to read it, okay? So we're still going to go through it. We're going to read it. We're going to focus on uh, this little short story that Jesus tells after it that is meant to teach a very important part of prayer. So if you're not familiar with our church kind of Sunday morning structure, I'm going to teach through this first. We're going to look at the text. I'm going to teach through it. We're going to sing a little bit, and then I'll come back up and I'll apply it, what we read through in this text. And then today we're going to have communion together. And then we'll sing one more song before we close. So before we dive into the word, would you guys pray with me? Lord, God, we just thank you for your word. Lord, I pray for all of us that that our hearts would be receptive. Holy Spirit, do your work in our hearts to reveal the truth to us so that that your word teaches here. And Lord, to empower us and enable us to live in light of that truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, Luke chapter 11, starting in verses 1 and 2. It says, one day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. Okay, <laughs> Even that simple line, it, this is just Jesus' habit, right? This is his rhythm. He just, he's praying in a certain place. It's so common that Luke just mentions he was, he was off praying. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. How cool is that, to be able to walk with Jesus, listen to Jesus' prayer life, see his prayer habits and routines, and then to ask him, say, Jesus, teach us to pray. 
Can you teach us to pray? This should be, this is really the life of a Christian. Is Jesus teach me to fill in the blank, okay? So whatever habits you're looking to develop, whatever ways of thinking you need to change and adapt to, whatever, uh, Jesus teach me to, and here we're asking Jesus to teach us how to pray. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day, I've even been saying it in the rhythm of Matthew's version, okay? (laughs) He shortens it a little bit, right? Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. And you guys are lucky today. Look at that formatting. I even formatted the slide like it is in your Bible. I went way above and beyond this week, didn't I? I hit enter and tab a couple of times. Okay. Then Jesus said to them, so here's what we're going to focus on today is is this part. So Jesus teaches them, here's how you should pray. When you're in prayer, focus on these themes. Remember, he doesn't necessarily mean say exactly these words again and again repetitively. What he's saying is here's the big things, the themes that you should be praying for. That's what the Lord's prayer is all about. But then he kind of launches into this little story in, in this section of Luke. And, and I should probably mention it's shorter here uh, in Luke's gospel. It's most likely a whole different event than the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew's gospel. And you might say, well, why are the disciples asking Jesus to teach them how to pray if he's already taught them how to pray? <laughs> we forget, right? <laughs> if you're in education, you know how many times you have to, to say something for it to kind of set in, right? We all need to hear things more than once, and the disciples are no exception. And that's not surprising when you read about their life in the Gospels. Okay. So now Jesus focuses in on this this little short story that he's going to go into. But before we really dive into that, we need to know some cultural context and understand a little bit about the culture that Jesus is teaching and living in for this story to make some sense. Okay. Because for us, some of these things are similar, some are slightly different. All right. First of all, hospitality was very highly valued in this culture. It was expected, right? If a friend just drops in on you unexpectedly, like one, they can't call you or text you and say, hey, I'm in the driveway, right? They can't do that, (laughs) which is kind of a silly phenomenon in our day and age, right? It's like, instead of just going to knock on the door, we text them and say, hey, I'm out in the driveway. I don't know, whatever. Uh, because we live in a totally different culture. In this culture, it wasn't at all unexpected for somebody to just drop in, because one, how would they send word ahead that they're coming? They didn't have communication like we do now. Um, And when they did that, it was just expected that you would be hospitable, that you would open your home to them and allow them to stay with you for as long as they needed to. You would provide food for them, shelter, care, everything that they needed. So hospitality was a huge part of this culture. It was expected, and... It happened all the time. Okay, so secondly, we have to remember that food was generally purchased or made daily. Okay, so uh, there's no refrigeration, right? Preservatives were very high, uncommon uh, in, in this culture in this time. So it isn't uncommon for somebody to be completely out of food at the end of the evening, right? Like you just don't have food available in the house when you go to bed. In the morning, you'll get up. And you'll either go to the market or you'll bake the bread, right? It's totally normal, okay? And next, okay, the house 
in this day and age was basically one room. In the devotional, I put up a picture of it. So if you go through the devotional, I think it's on Tuesday. Give you like a diagram, typical picture of what a first century uh, Israelite house would generally look like. It's, it's basically like a bottom floor and then an upper floor. And the upper floor is where you sleep and live. Bottom floor is where you like keep your animals and gathering area with other people, all of that stuff. But it's basically one room, okay? So you have one room and the whole family would sleep in the same bed, in the same area together. So that'll make sense when the story, as we continue to read through this. Okay, lastly, last cultural note, so you guys are envisioning this and you understand what's happening here. Um, it's really common for travelers to travel in the evening, okay? Because the Middle East, the daytime's hot. It's really hot. So it's often that they would travel in the evening. So in this story, it seems like a buddy drops in on someone at like midnight, that's still a little late, right? Like, that's still a little culturally uh, audacious, or like, not cool, man. <laughs> it's, we're sleeping, it's midnight, what are you doing knocking on my door? All right, so with that in mind, let's read through this story. It says, then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. All right, so somebody came late, most likely around midnight, because this is when he goes to his other friend's house. So now the guy has a decision to make. Am I going to uh, kind of disrespect this traveler, my friend, who came late and not offer him any food? Or am I going to go and kind of boldly or audaciously knock on my neighbor's door and say, hey, do you have any food? All right, tough decision to make. And he decides to do the latter, to go to his neighbor's house and knock on the door. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed, okay? I can't get up and give you anything. So he and his kids, they're already sleeping. Jesus doesn't mention how old the kids are. But if you got little kids in the house, Somebody drops in at midnight, starts knocking on the door. It doesn't, I don't think they had dogs as pets, but if they had a dog, that would be a huge problem. The dog would not shut up and wake up the entire neighborhood. <laughs> but if you've got little kids in the house, especially, and someone's disturbing the sleeping baby at midnight, finally you get the baby to fall asleep, how furious would you be, right? <laughs> and again, everybody sleeps in the same kind of bed area, so it's to get up, go to the door, like rattle around and find bread without waking up the entire family. So this is a huge inconvenience. They've awakened the entire family with this request. Okay, Jesus goes on. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. And the devotional will kind of unpack what this word shameless audacity means, and we'll look through that a little bit more. But for now, that's a good translation of it. Basically, what it means is a disregard for social conventions, okay? So this was, like, culturally like, unacceptable. You're disrupting the entire household of your neighbor, friend. And Jesus says, even if he won't get up for friendship, just because you're his friend, he'll get up because you're knocking on his door at midnight. It must be really important. That's basically it. 
So the way I think of this and the idea that came to my head when I read through this story is like, my mom's not here. Okay, good. Don't tell my mom I said this. Um, but sometimes my mom will call me in the middle of the day and I'm working and like, like yeah, I could answer it, but I'm kind of in the middle of something and I'm like, ah, I'll call you back, ma. Or she'll, like, <laughs> she'll leave me a message if it's something urgent. Moms are like, you. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> But if my mom calls me at midnight and I hear it, I'm gonna answer the phone. Why? Because it's not a normal time that she's calling me. It must be an emergency, something's wrong. So that's the idea here. When somebody's knocking on the door at midnight, it's an emergency. They're really in need of something. So, and that's the reason that the person will get up and give them whatever they want. And again, okay, so remember, Okay, bigger, bigger picture culture that they're living in. Like, for us, we hear this, and when we're applying this to prayer, we think this shameless audacity context. Again, remember the culture that they lived in was very formal, very traditional in how one approaches God. Okay? To... <laughs> You, play, you prayed prayers that were very ritual, very routine, certain times of day. Uh, you attended Sabbath and feast days. You followed the sacrificial system to a T, and that's how you connected with God. It was all very formal. It was all go to the temple, do these things, X, Y, Z, okay? Check all of these lists, and then that's how you worship and talk to God, Right? They had cleanliness laws. The high priest could only go into the temple or into the Holy of Holies once a year, right? And they tie a rope on his leg in case if he didn't follow all of the right rules and died in there so they could drag him out. (laughs) It was very formal how you approached God in this culture. So what Jesus is about to say in this shameless audacity in teaching about prayer was completely earth-shattering for them. This was crazy, right? Remember, Jesus is teaching them how to pray. They had approached God only through set structures and systems that they had to follow to the letter. And Jesus is now saying, no, when you approach God in prayer, he will hear you and respond because of your shameless audacity because you are defying all of the cultural kind of expectations and cues. This is, this is transformational in, in the prayer life of a first century Jew now turned Christian. And it's not just in Judaism. This is like everywhere in this day and age. Most cultures had a form of temple worship where similarly to talk to a God or any form of deity, you would follow all of this set list of rules and things that you had to do to go to the temple for the God to hear you. So this idea of Jesus is completely earth-shattering. And it brings up what he says in, what the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 10, 19 to 22, which bigger theological picture, it says this, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, remember that place of the temple, the inner room where the priest could only go in once a year, the most holy place where God's presence was like the strongest, where God's presence dwelt. 
since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, the author of Hebrews says, by the blood of Jesus, that it's through the blood of Jesus that we have confidence to enter into God's presence by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us not draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from guilt, from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water. Okay, so the text is saying that because of Jesus, we have access to God. And that's, that's what Jesus is saying here in this short little story about asking with shameless audacity. So I say to you, he says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Just a quick note on, this, on this, these couple of verses. Remember, this is in the context of Jesus teaching on the Lord's Prayer, Lord's Prayer, and in the context of just, we have God's ear, is what Jesus is saying. So this text can often be manipulated or tweaked to say that God, whatever we ask for. <laughs> okay, there are uh, certain forms of the, what's known as the prosperity gospel. Let's say if you ask with enough faith, if you ask the right way, um, basically, if you're holy enough, if you haven't sinned, any, uh, if you've only sinned a certain amount, I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense to me. All right, then God will give you whatever you ask for because Jesus said, ask, and it will be given to you. So if you're asking for a bigger house, if you're asking for a better car, if you're asking for health, God will guarantee to give those things to you because this is what he said. Uh, don't go there so fast, okay? We know that not to be true, both experientially and theologically. Remember, Jesus has already told them what they should pray for in the Lord's Prayer. He's already told them they should pray for God's name to be made holy. They should pray for his kingdom to come, for provision for their needs, for forgiveness for their sins, and protection from the evil one, okay? Like, those things God wants to give you, and God will give you those. God will answer those prayers and give you those things when we pray for them. Those whom God has chosen, this is, those are what he wants to give to them. And then later in this text, we'll see the gift of the Holy Spirit, too. So when we're praying for those things, then the answer is yes, okay? Yeah, I'm going to get ahead of myself. All right. I'm getting excited. You can't tell. I'm getting all riled up. All right. All right. Uh, band, why don't you guys come on up here? Are they in here? No. Don't see them. Ian, can you grab John and the band and have them get set? <laughs> Ian just walks in with a cup of coffee, and I'm like, nope. <laughs> Sorry, dude. <laughs> okay. All right. Now, Jesus wraps this up, and he says, which of you fathers... If your son asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake instead. Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. <laughs> Some of you guys are like, my dad was a practical joker. <laughs> I wouldn't put this past him, right? <laughs> All right. Practical jokes aside. Um, again, Jesus here, he keeps taking it back to this idea. So he tells us, he teaches us to address God as our father in prayer and now here he's going back to the father analogy and how we should pray to God. It is so, so vitally important that we view God as our father when we pray to him. 
And it keeps coming back to this same theme again and again. Jesus mentioning to us that when we pray, pray to God as our Father. And now here he's going through just another simple example about how God wants to give us good gifts. So it says, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? I've been laughing about this all week. and just how ridiculous. This sounds like my son asked me for something. I'm like, here's a scorpion, dude. Open it up. <laughs> all right. <laughs> and I'm terrified of snakes. So if it was an actual snake for me, I would be real freaked out. Okay. He says in verse 13, If you then, though you are evil, <laughs> ouch, right? But true. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Okay, the first time we read this, um, it seems like a kind of a kind of a transition of thought, right? Now, now he's talking about the Holy Spirit. Why? He just like drops a reference to the Holy Spirit in here. But I, I think it I think it makes a lot of sense when we think about what we should be praying for. Um, when we think about God giving us the best gifts, the good gifts that the Father wants to give us. The best gift that the Father can give us is the Holy Spirit, is himself living with us, dwelling in us and in our community. All of the other stuff that Jesus has taught us to pray for, it hinges on this. Okay, and, and when we apply this later, I'll just say it now, whatever. Like we, I guarantee you, that you take for granted in your life the gift of the Holy Spirit, that we do not fully appreciate the fact that God lives in us and dwells with us. We sell him short. All right. So, uh, what is it? I had the big idea in here, and let's find it. Okay, here's our big idea. We should pray boldly because we have the Father's ear. <laughs> Again, think about it. We should boldly come into God's presence and pray to him. And again, thinking about the cultural context that Jesus said this in, this is <laughs> game-changing in the scope of human history in the first century, that we can speak to God the Father, the creator of all things, and we have the Father's ear, and he wants us to come knock on his door at midnight and pray to him boldly. Lord, God, we thank you that you have given us access to the Father. Jesus, we thank you so much for that. Father, thank you for giving us your ear, for wanting to hear from us. Forgive us, Lord, of so often taking that for granted, disregarding the fact that you want to talk with us. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would inspire us, move us to prayer. Thank you that you are living in us and that we can pray to the Father through you. It's in your name, Lord, we pray. Amen.
Would you guys stand with us? Let's sing together. Lord, we thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace and your mercy to us that, Lord, you would invite us into communion with you. That, God, you would give us your ear. Lord, I pray that we would have a sense of just how magnificent and wonderful that truly is. And that we would take advantage of every moment we get to spend with you. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. You guys can have a seat. The big idea was that we should pray boldly because we have the Father's ear. We, I mentioned this before, but it is so important for us to just step back and think how shocking of a statement this truly is. <laughs> that God, the God of the universe, okay, this, this is where your theology is going to come into play. This is where all the like heady stuff that you do when you read scripture and you study scripture, this is where it comes into play. Because the more you understand about who God is and how great and how awesome and wonderful, magnificent, transcendent, all holy, 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 all of those words that come to mind when you think of God and how awesome he is, how powerful he is, that he created the universe by the sound of his voice. When you think about that and understand that more and more, and then you dig into scripture and you understand more about who you are, and you see the sin in your heart, and you see how ugly your thoughts can be and how your desires just, you constantly have to battle with them for even the smallest gain of holiness. When you, when you understand that and you get it a little bit more, oh my gosh, this concept just goes, it gets huge. God's mercy that he would desire to even hear from you. Why would he want to hear from you? He is the God of the universe. Who are you to talk to him in prayer? But what happens is it's this humbling thing that, oh my goodness, God, me, me? But then it also elevates you and it lifts you to this status that your creator wants to hear from you. What? That should blow your mind. And it's something that you should constantly be wrestling with constantly as you grow and learn more in your faith, just be in awe and amazement that God wants you to approach him boldly because of the work of Jesus with the Holy Spirit in you makes all of this possible. That is incredible. Now for most of us, that's not that <laughs> shocking of a statement. Right? To think that we can talk to God because it's been 2,000 years since Jesus came and, and this has been a part of our church culture and tradition for a long time. And not only that, but our culture is so vastly different than the culture that Jesus said this in. In our culture, shameless audacity is valued. It's a good thing. In this culture, it wasn't, right? Generally, at least, it's a good thing when an artist is edgy. <laughs> they're 
pushing the limits of what's acceptable and we're like, woo, <laughs> they're so great. We love that stuff. It's all over in entertainment, in Super Bowl halftime shows or whatever, whatever celebrity award show you like to watch. I keep like hearing stories of these and I'm like, how much further, like how much, where, is there an edge? Like how much further can we go? Like will there, we're just gonna like go back to being like super reserved <laughs> because we're gonna push the limit all the way. They're, they keep pushing the edge, we keep pushing the limits and that's cool. That's good in our culture. If you're dating and you bring a mariachi band to your girlfriend's house, throw a rock at her window and sing in the middle of the night, she'll be like, oh, it's so romantic. All the neighbors are furious because you woke up their kids and their dogs. And, and now they have like a Shakira song stuck in their head or something that you were singing. Like, this is cool. And even in religion, this is culturally, uh, shameless audacity is acceptable for us. Because it's like Jesus is our homeboy, right? God is like used as a cuss word. Pastors now, for a while there, it was cool when pastors would like swear or wear a deep V, right? Drink microbrews and be like cool. Like push, push the limits of edgy of what's cool for Christian pastors to do. It's not wrong, but it's edgy, right? We value that. So it's different for us. We need to take a step back, zoom out into the culture of Jesus' day and say, and just recognize how wild this statement is. That we can approach God plainly, directly, because of the work of Jesus on the cross and through the Holy Spirit who he's given us. That is in the landscape of human history and religion throughout cultures and time. That is mind-boggling that we don't have to go to a temple, we don't have to offer sacrifices, we don't have to follow this set pattern of how to speak with God. We ask, seek, knock. God wants you to talk to him. Just go to him in prayer. We have that available to us all the time. It's incredible. The next, we need to pray to God as our Father. <laughs> this idea is permeated so much of Jesus' teaching on prayer, and he models it every time he prays, Father, right? We need to, <laughs> first of all, in the devotional, I linked you to a video, Good, Good Father. You know I had to, right? I, I get it. It's really overplayed, but it works. It's a good song, okay? We need to view God as our good father. Because, like, <laughs> when I think of, how my kids talk to me, there are no social conventions, okay? They just blast right through them. Whatever propriety rules there are, they don't, they don't care. Like if you're talking to me out in the lobby after service, almost guaranteed one of my kids will interrupt our conversation. They'll just run up and be like, hey dad, hey dad. And be like, hey, let me talk to you about something completely meaningless, right? <laughs> in the grand scope of what's going on right now. They don't care. They just come to me, shameless audacity, defy any cultural convention, they'll just come to me and talk. And I love it. Granted, I'll tell them, stop, I'm talking to somebody else. Okay, <laughs> I'll talk to you. <laughs> you can wait for a minute, buddy. 
But God, in, in his infinite nature, he, when we defy all these social conventions and shamelessly approach his throne, audaciously approach his throne, God is infinite. God can hear all of our prayers, and he wants us to do that. It is just so amazing that we can have that opportunity. And so we have to know that God wants to hear us. God won't be like angry with us for coming to him in prayer. We have to view him as our father, okay? Not as the like angry enforcer in the sky who's just waiting for you to do something wrong or all of those other ideas in our head that we get about who God is. Like the luxurious celebrity just lounging and doesn't wanna deal with any problems in the real world. That's not God, okay? God is our good father who's invested, who's here, who loves us, and he wants to hear from us. And so when we piece together what it looks like for God to be our father, we have to take scripture and say, this is what it looks like for God to be my father and build our understanding of what our heavenly father does and who he is on scripture. Then next, we have to pray for what Jesus told us to pray for. The simple reality is, is that if, if your prayers aren't getting answered in the affirmative very often, you're likely praying for the wrong things. God answers your prayers. Sometimes it's no, sometimes yes, right? But if, if we're not, if our prayers aren't getting answered with a yes, then we're probably praying for the wrong things. We need to pray for what Jesus told us to pray for. It's real simple. Such, this is maybe the worst point I have ever made. Like it is the simplest idea that we just miss, right? Because we, we go to God with prayers of all the supplication prayers for everything going on in our life and all of this stuff. And those are good and God wants to hear those. But if we end our prayers of supplication like Jesus does and say, Lord, your will be done, that prayer is answered every time. Even if it's not what you want, God's will will be done. And when we pray that prayer repeatedly, time and time again, what we end up praying more for God's will to be done than for us to just get our way. Does that make sense? We begin to pray and desire more God's will to be done than for just me to get what I want. And as you build that habit and begin to pray that more and more, you'll find your heart changing to desiring God's will, not just what you want. Pray for God's kingdom to come. Pray what he taught us to pray in the Lord's prayer. God's kingdom will come. And it is coming, even if we don't see it. But when we pray that prayer, we begin to see how God's kingdom is moving and how God's kingdom is working now. And as Jesus says at the end of this, we need to, to pray for the Holy Spirit and what he does in our lives. If you don't know that you have the Holy Spirit of God living in you, working through you, Jesus says here to pray for that. And God is happy to answer that prayer. <laughs> pray for more of the Holy Spirit. Pray for his, him to fill you and to work in you more and more and more. Now, it's a bit of a dangerous prayer, okay? Because when we pray for the Holy Spirit, we're praying for him to do what he does in your life, which is reveal the truth of Jesus, which means there's gonna be some lies that you're believing that you're gonna to have to abandon 
and say, these are not true. I'm going to believe what Jesus says is true. And that's hard. There are some things about the way you live that you're, he's going to challenge those and say, you're living selfishly. This is the way of Jesus and how you should live. And the Holy Spirit does all of this in us. He convicts us of sin. So when you're praying for the Holy Spirit, you're praying for God to convict you of your sin so that you can then live a more holy life according to the ways of Jesus. You're praying for him to produce fruit in you, the fruit of the Spirit that Paul says. You're praying for more love, more self-sacrificial, self-giving love. You're praying for joy. Even in the midst of difficult circumstances, you're praying for peace, for patience. You know, when you pray for patience, God usually gives you opportunities to grow for patience. (laughs) So, when we pray for the Holy Spirit, pray for him to produce his character in you, which will be challenging. We're gonna go into communion now. And while you're sitting there holding the elements and we're singing, I want you to just pray. Think of this idea that we can approach the Father's throne in prayer. That God even wants to hear from you. Just wrestle with the awe and wonder that that is with who God is and who you are and how he wants to actually hear from you. Appreciate the fact that what we're celebrating in communion made the way for you to boldly approach the Father's throne in prayer. Because of Jesus' blood that was shed for you, because of his body that was broken for you, and how he has made you holy, now we can approach God's presence in prayer. Because God dwells in inapproachable light So we have to be made holy through the blood of Jesus in order to commune with him, to talk with him. And it is such a beautiful thing that Jesus gave us that privilege. So as you're sitting holding the elements, just sit and reflect on that. Pray for God to give you the Holy Spirit. Pray for God to fill you with the Holy Spirit. For the Holy Spirit to do what he does in your life. The elements are set up in the back. Front rows, why don't you guys come to the middle, go back. When the row in front of you finishes, then you go and grab the elements, come back to your seat, sit and hold them. I'll come up and pray for them, and we'll take them together as a community.